MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for this Veterans Day, Monday, November 11th, 2019. Today, Bolton did an end run around Trump and released the Ukraine aid before resigning. Mueller is having a moment. A second person says Jim Jordan knew. Mulvaney is up to his rotten neck in shit. And John Eisenberg ignored concerns about Trump's Ukraine policy. We also have a fantastic schadenfreude segment today. I'm your host, AG, and with me today is Jordan Coburn. Hello. Hola. Hello. How's your day? It's good. Just starting. Yep. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Me too. Well, I mean, I've been up early. Yeah, I was up early too, but I just laid in bed reading Twitter. Nice. Yeah. yeah. A lot of deets out there. A lot of news today, mm-hmm. uh, oddly, for a Sunday. Mm-hmm. But, you know. And just catching up on Stone Trial stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so mm-hmm. much. It really is. It's a lot. So. Too much. It's Some a- might say. <laughs> it's really funny. Some being my brain. It's sad, sad and funny. At the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Stone is like a nice little sort of starter trial because he's such a loser uh, (laughs) that like the damage that he himself did really pales in comparison to a lot of the people who have yet to actually face justice. Yeah. So this is just like a nice little carny dude we get to watch go through some some legal trouble. Yeah. It's kind of... uh, Refreshing. Yeah. And uh, presumably with an attorney that I imagine is not going to make a lot of successful arguments, (laughs) just given their track record in the case this far. (laughs) No, but like high five for even trying. Yeah. You know, somebody's got to defend him. So Mm -hmm. might as well be one of the 10 weirdos on the planet. Does he have a stylist, though? Uh, Or does he do that himself? (laughs) <laughs> Roger Stone? Yes. I feel like Jacob Wall is his stylist. Oh, my God. Amazing. <laughs> or like... That'd be so great if Jacob... Even, <laughs> even out of that clown from the Carnival uh, series of American Horror Stories. One mm-hmm. of those. Yeah. Could be could be either one. Yeah. Uh, uh, we do have a lot of, of news to get to. A lot of Bolton stuff. Uh, a lot of impeachment updates uh, that have happened this weekend. We just got home. We flew home yesterday from Boston. Fun, fun, mm-hmm. super fun, amazing town. Thank you, Boston. Yeah, that was incredible for your Austin, Austin hospitality. <laughs> you know was, what I mean? Uh, yes. <laughs> you missed a ah, uh, a Boston, uh, Boston ah, ah on the end of it. Hospitality. Hospitality. Not, not, <laughs> now you sound like Cartman. Respect my hospitality. <laughs> everywhere, everywhere I went, they really had the ah on the end of it for some sort of added. They appeal. did, yeah. although it wasn't as chowda. There feel, we go. I feel like on the north end, I and I could be totally wrong, but I, I feel like that the, the accent on the north end wasn't as pronounced as it might have been on the south end. Yeah, we didn't make it to the south end. No, no, we didn't. We were st- we were mostly confined to the north end of town. So, yeah. um, but it was so much fun. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, the graveyard tours were fun. Oh yes, and they were all run by stand up comics. So, <laughs> but who never done stand up? <laughs> I does. Did they say that? Yeah, well, I asked the Ashton guy. Oh yeah, if he'd ever done stand up. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. no. And I'm like, you you should try that out. Yeah, I feel like the guy at the second graveyard, the one that had like a lot of makeup on his face. <laughs> yeah, that guy had given up, given us his tight ten. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, he was totally. I was like, I'm not even learning anything about the people in this graveyard. He was just going to like a new location, stopping and doing three minutes and then going to the next one. Yeah, anybody who says that's as good as the jokes get is definitely a comedian. Yeah. All right, we have a lot of news, so let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. So John Bolton has refused to show up to testify uh, this past week, as we know, though, his lawyer made an, like an enigmatic statement telling House Democrats if they're willing to wait for it. Bolton has a lot, a lot of he they could tell him about the meetings and and what he knows. But there's nothing stopping him from actually testifying. Uh, let's see. His lawyer said, quote, Bolton was involved in many relevant meetings and conversations, uh, unquote. But Bolton won't testify until the completion of a lawsuit filed by Kupperman in October asking the courts to weigh in on Trump's absolute immunity claim. Uh, the judge in that case, Judge Leon, is a, is a George W. Bush appointee. I think he'll definitely rule in favor of Congress, but a ruling could take months. I think the first hearings are in December 18th or something like that. And Schiff has told them they can rely on another case involving Trump's absolute immunity claims with the testimony of Don McGahn. But mm-hmm. Cooper disagrees. Cooper is the lawyer. For, I'm different. For Kupperman <laughs> and... Um, Bolton. He disagrees, saying his clients differ from McGahn because they have intimate knowledge of national security and foreign affairs. Quote, if the House chooses not to pursue through subpoena the testimony of Kupperman and Bolton, let the record be clear. That is at the House's discretion or yeah. that is the House's decision. Um, so I'm all for ignoring them. But why not just kick the lawsuit off? Let it happen. Let it go. Uh, let it start. And and. If it's too late, don't worry about it. But what can it hurt to let it work its way through the courts and, to, you know, and then, you know, ask for an expedited schedule? Because who knows what could delay these hearings and then you might get a decision in time to bring them in and and get their testimony. Not that it's needed at all. I mean, they have more than enough uh, from the people they've already yeah. that have already testified. Yeah, this is more so just a good thing to get established moving forward. Yes. With all the other subpoenas. Yes. And and it also doesn't preclude Congress from continuing to investigate outside of impeachment once impeachment is over um, to continue, you know, looking at the obstruction under mm-hmm. under Mueller and uh, anybody else who's failed to show up. Yeah. The thing that really kicked off the formal impeachment process before all of the Ukraine stuff happened, which we forget because it only lasted for like how long a week or two or something like not even that long was it being uh, you know put across screens that the formal impeachment was sort of beginning or or beginning (laughs) beginning (laughs) me giving um or that was the reason that they were citing for needing those documents at least are you talking about the way uh, back when nadler did the press conference with all of the the house superheroes Mueller grand jury materials and Mm -hmm. ah yes Mm -hmm. before nancy uh, Pelosi officially announced. Yes, yeah. before that. Like when the we first were popping official, champagne. Yes, the first official mention of impeachment being the underlying reason for needing these documents from people. Yeah, in the Mueller grand jury case in the, the yeah. court filing when they mm-hmm. when they said we are exercising our Article 1 constitutional power to impeach. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, also, quick question. When they say if you're willing to wait for it for Bolton's testimony is what he's talking about, right? Yeah. What does that mean if you're willing to wait? Well, like, those are my words oh got it got it got but there okay, but okay. that's the inference got it like okay. if you file the proper lawsuit and wait a tick right you'll be able to get this great information yes totally that makes sense i'm glad that they didn't say that exactly because yeah. then it's like <laughs> well what if it's like you're just not gonna give it to us or something good things come yeah wait. <laughs> uh but uh, recently it was announced just over the weekend that bolton is working on a book 
And so a lot oh of people... Oh, my God. Wait a year. A lot of people were saying that the only reason that his lawyer was pimping this, his conversations and meetings, was basically to sell the book. And to hold up and refuse to appear uh, with a you know duly authorized congressional subpoena and tell the story, to hold that up and, and release a book about it, just makes no sense and is also illegal. So, yeah. Well, this is really annoying. I mean, obviously, it's like, it's kind of sad that a full-blown book is the only way for people to have a form, like, to have a, a stage, I guess, to sort of tell their story. Um, yeah, but people... In the midst of what's happening right now, because it's like, McCabe, for example, writing a book was one of the only ways I imagine he could have conceivably seen him being able to tell his side of the story, because... Congress, as it was going on, wasn't going to allow it. Right. And now it's like with all these people, yeah, it would be way better if you could just testify, get all that stuff done with, and then write your fucking book. But I bet he's like, oh, I'm going to write this book. Yeah, nobody will read the book if I let out all of the juicy parts before, right. beforehand. Yeah. And it, it's just, you know, and then we can go down the road and talk about how it's interesting that people... Trump supporters and people and the Trump family members and people on, you know, the, on that side of the aisle think that the base are readers. Yeah. And there's also a huge difference between someone like Bolton versus McCabe, because McCabe is someone who actively was getting campaigned against. Right. Whereas Bolton is just kind of some guy who actually only recently is becoming this character that seems like he has anything good to say. Mm. And, or at least meaningful. Yeah. Meaningful. Yeah. That's that's none of it's good, really. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing good can get past that mustache. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, so it, it is odd. And, and when I say that, you know, the Trump's base aren't readers, I don't mean to insinuate they can't read right, or they're right. done. We, you know, we can, we can make those jokes all we want. But they historically, historically, I should say, generally uh, don't buy a lot of books. Yeah. And, and that's <laughs> just how it goes. I mean, I guess, you know, they can listen to the the audiobook. Because mm-hmm. um, like when Trump tweeted out, I, I just finished reading Trump Jr.'s book. It's beautiful everyone's like no you didn't mm-hmm. <laughs> no you didn't and is that what you consider valuable father-son time yeah <laughs> they also refuse to uh to read yeah he won't even read his Starting pa- daily like, briefings yeah that and then like lindsey graham for example won't just read the saying they won't read yeah why it doesn't hurt to read or them them saying they didn't read the Mueller report. Mhm. Don't need to. Barr told me what was in it. Oh, okay. Mhm. Yeah. Practice makes perfect, guys. <laughs> or at least relatively read able to get by more. <laughs> yeah. Um and Saturday we got uh, this weekend reporting is awesome, but we got this crazy bombshell story from Bloomberg saying President Donald Trump says he lifted his freeze on the aid to Ukraine on September 11th, but the State Department had quietly authorized releasing $141 million of the money several days earlier. The State Department decision, which hasn't been reported previously until this Saturday, stemmed from a legal finding made earlier in the year and conveyed in a classified memo to Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State. State Department lawyers found the White House Office of Management and Budget and thus the president had no legal standing to block spending on Ukraine, on the Ukraine aid. So Mulvaney was supporting Trump's decision to hold the aid while John Bolton wanted the funding released. The memo to Pompeo said the State Department had the authority to spend the money regardless of Trump's efforts to block it through the Office of Management and Budget. So Bolton went around Mulvaney mm-hmm. uh, to release the aid. 
Bolton has had released a, a message to the State Department saying the funding could go ahead right before, and then he resigned. Nice. So he did an end run around the the shadow Ukraine foreign policy, drug deal, bribe, extortion thing, and released the aid, and then yeah, you know, pounded sand. This is one of the few people that said that they have resigned, where it actually sounds like they resigned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because true. so many times it's like they resigned. Sure, yeah, like Flynn. Yeah, Flynn was fired. Uh huh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's like most of the time it's the opposite of what they say happened. Yeah, and I'm still like curious as to the circumstances under which Flynn left the White House in February mm-hmm. of 2017 because there are you know some uh, many people have noted, many people have read, many people have told me that uh, <laughs> that. Trump decided to say he fired Flynn because it sounded better. And so it seems like either Flynn resigned or he was forced to resign by outside forces, forces outside the Trump presidency, like perhaps the intelligence community. Or, you know, because when we talk about these counterintelligence mm-hmm. um, investigations mm-hmm. and we never really hear anything about it, we never see anybody go to jail, we don't know what happens when they come to a conclusion that somebody is a Russian asset, but there might be some sort of internal mechanism that if you are found with high confidence by multiple intelligence agencies to be an asset of a foreign you know, adversary, that you will be removed. There mm-hmm. might be these secret things that go on with these counterintelligence investigations that we don't know about. And so maybe that's why Trump said it's best to say that we fired him mm-hmm. when actually there's there's some sort of, you know, machination within, you know, the intelligence community and the executive branch and the Department of Justice that says if this happens or if these things are found that that, that person cannot work, you know, is not allowed yeah. to work in that position. And that might be what happened. But, you know, yeah. will we ever know? I don't know. Yeah. I can't help but imagine, though, if the Flint stuff happened now, where Trump is at in his presidency now, it would not have went down like it did. He would have gone out and probably stuck his neck out for him and just roped it all into the deep state theory that he keeps spewing, you know, because back then I wonder if it was kind of doing it retroactively now. Mm hmm. But yeah. yeah, he didn't back then other than just just say Flynn was treated poorly. He's a yes. good man. Yeah, exactly. It seemed like then it was maybe more of a this is the very start. We have <laughs> such a busy packed schedule of crimes to get to. If we stop now, <laughs> we cannot <laughs> simply make the schedule. We need to keep going. Can someone bring me my crime binder? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> They just have, yeah, like a crime secretary is like, um, excuse me, you were supposed to lie five minutes ago. We are off schedule. You're going to have to make up for that by posting a selfie. I have a binder full of crimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's, 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 yeah, I, yeah, you're right. How would it be? You know, it would look so much different. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking of Mick Mulvaney, acting chief of staff and also hands all over the Office of Management and Budget, is up to his eyeballs in it this week. Not only has he asked to join the Bolton-Kupperman suit after failing to appear to testify in the impeachment inquiry. Seems sorry, like he's, sorry, which person? Uh, Mulvaney. Got it. Cool. Thank you. Uh, now I'm reading he's trying to sue, uh, like people are framing this as he's trying to sue Trump, but he's actually just asking to join the Kupperman-Bolton suit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not sure how the withdrawal, the Democrat, the House Democrats withdrawal of the Kupperman um, subpoena affects that because they mooted the subpoena. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I th- that they should go forward with that. They should, like I said, they should let that lawsuit go forward. But yeah, but uh, Mulvaney didn't appear. And then he recently, the recently released Vindman and Hill transcripts have thrust him into the center of the bribery and extortion, saying it was Mulvaney that was pushing the extortion, likely on behalf of Trump. But Mulvaney would be the linchpin of this whole thing, and we do need their testimony. Um, 
you know, when, well, do we? That's the thing. Because Trump released the call and the, the, the quid pro quo, the bribery and extortion is right there in the call yeah. that Trump released. So do we even really need Mulvaney to say Trump told me to do this? Because Trump is on the call telling people to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, even if Mulvaney was told to do it, he's still criminally culpable, potentially, assuming that this is because now increasingly so we're hearing that the act of even asking for it is like a criminal act, you know. So, right. That's kind of like the the legal theory that seems to have emerged over the last week, at least on Twitter, <laughs> in the Twitterverse. And they attach some like number dot, number dot, number dot reference to it that I just assume is an actual standing policy. But um, if that's the case, then he would still definitely need to be heard from i think potentially for a criminal referral uh if anything just to get all of the major players like you said he's like a very cruxy kind of person in all of this so i i think it's necessary yeah but they could also investigate and prosecute bolton and mulvaney, mulvaney afterwards mm-hmm. uh, particularly after we get a dem president and get a dem uh yeah. attorney general in there yeah uh but you know, then there's there's the you know the you the argument that Mulvaney and Bolton testimony could sway more Republican senators mm-hmm. to remove mm-hmm. uh, rather than just say because right now we can go forward with impeachment, impeach him in the House, mm-hmm. easy. But you know, Nancy Pelosi's been saying, uh, and uh, as with Nadler and Engel and Schiff, we need an ironclad case, the best case we can put forward. Because we do want um, the Senate GOP to remove him. Uh, and, can, you know, is is it more or less likely to happen? Are you going to, you know, are you more likely to get more GOP senators jumping ship and voting to remove him if you can get the Mulvaney and Bolton testimony, if you can get the Mueller grand jury materials, if you can get the tax returns by then? Mm-hmm. Or do you just impeach thinking that the Senate won't convict, use that against them in 2020 to get new senators to in, in the mm-hmm. election and then continue to investigate these other these other crimes of obstruction and yeah. what Mulvaney and Bolton knew. Like, are, do you think they're purposefully, could they be purposefully impeaching with the intent to not remove to allow, first of all, allow the American people to make a decision and second of all, to hold GOP accountable for, you know, because if, if a GOP votes to, you know, uh, exonerate him mm-hmm. and all this stuff later comes out you know where if Mulvaney does testify and say yeah Trump told me to do this or this is why I got the job or this is why I was acting OMB or if Bolton comes out and says yeah I, you know, I did an end run and I was in all these meetings and it was there was definitely bribery and extortion then we have we can look back and hold the GOP Senate to a standard of evidence that they didn't have at the time, but that I don't know that the American public will care and we will right. have more of a oomph to, to vote those senators, the GOP Senate, out. So that if we, you know, have an election, we can possibly end up with the House, the Senate, and the White House. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't. I feel like at the on the other side of 2020, assuming it goes our way, we'll have so much to do. And also the American people will have so much of an immense desire to get to work to try to reverse and continue to move forward like we were moving forward in the direction with under President Obama in so many arenas and to keep building upon that and to not spend the next immediate foreseeable future just continuing trying to address all of the shit that that like fuckhead did the four years previous outside of the very 
necessary things that we'll have to do, like rebuilding our relationships with foreign governments and, and you know, upholding rights for, you know, undocumented folks and, and like path of citizenship stuff and healthcare. Like the list is so insanely long, obviously. So I can't, I can't imagine that they would be purposefully impeaching now with the intention of picking it back up in 2020 after they already win, presumably, and the Senate doesn't actually move to remove him from office. Um, But at this point, it's like impeachment is something that I think is not so much even a thing that they're doing on purpose or not on, you know, it's like out of necessity. It's not like a, I don't even know if it could be considered a strategic move. Maybe the timing itself is strategic, but the act of doing it on its own I think is just so past the point of something they could not do. Yeah, it, it it's like it shouldn't be. I mean, impeachment itself is a political process. And mm-hmm. so I would imagine that any decisions about impeachment that come out are political in nature. Mm-hmm. So are, you know, it's just an interesting question. Are they moving forward with not the full right uh, barrel? Just to get it done. To get it done and to... Or the part they keep can, him in office so we yeah. can vote him out. Yeah. Well, I think if they have, I mean, any amount of self awareness, which they do, they anybody knows. You know, it's very simple math. That's not going to go through in the Senate. So at least how it stands now. And yeah. I don't think that those people are big enough people or have big enough testimonies, like you said, to really push the Republicans over the edge to yeah. support removing him from office and then you have the argument that the republicans will make which is you shouldn't be able to impeach a president in an election year and and maybe that's another reason they're trying to get it done before 2020 starts they're gonna be like look this is the benefit of having lifelong rulers and fearers you only have one election and then a hundred years until everything (laughs) so we'll be very productive (laughs) we won't have to stop things every election year yeah what you can't do supreme court court picks you can't do investigations of criminals you can't do like everybody stop (laughs) stop working i have to take a photo (laughs) and then that'll increase to two years Mm-hmm. And then that'll be like three years and then it'll just be, well, we can't ever because we're always running for president. You mm-hmm. know. Yep. So, and, and yeah, there's a lot of a lot behind why Trump filed to run for office the day he was inaugurated um, so that, first of all, he could re- fundraise. Second of all, mm-hmm. so that the Hatch Act would always apply to him. You know, that just all these different th- the considerations where Republicans previously gave Obama a ton of shit for filing two years ahead of time or something mm-hmm. like that. It's just very interesting, all the double standards and, and the reasons for doing things. And, and that Democrats oft don't take advantage of those dirty tricks because we're not dirty people. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, I haven't politically speaking, days, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go a different direction. But all right. <laughs> uh, and Mulvaney speaking to dirty people. He's not the only one in the hot seat right now. Jordan um, Eisenberg uh, there was a, an article from the New York Times saying that the Ukraine affair thrusts White House lawyer into the center of the crisis as well. So it's not just Mulvaney and Bolton. We have mm-hmm. Eisenberg as well. Yeah, and Eisenberg has a pretty longstanding history in the White House as well. So his conduct is starting to draw a lot more scrutiny here. Uh, he was approached by two top aides at the National Security Council, apparently within hours of each other. So that's pretty consistent reporting to him. Um, and they were expressing concerns about what turned out to be Sondland's pressuring of 
Ukrainian officials to investigate uh, things specifically for Trump's personal gain, as we know. Uh, so congressional testimony that came out Friday showed that Eisenberg promised that he he promised, ain't he? <laughs> he promised that he would follow up. A uh, promise from Eisenberg. <laughs> with their complaints. And then he raised concerns with the White House counsel. So I guess that could constitute as a follow up. And Pat, that, Pat Cipollone or whatever his name is? Um, the New York Times reported this and... They didn't say specifically which White House counsel, but it's already somebody been, in the White House counsel. Yeah, office. it's also already probably in congressional testimonies at this point, and I could I could find it, but I didn't, so I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, there's only two thousand pages of them right now, Jordan. Yeah, come on. Well, also there's like there are so many more attorneys that serve as counsel than I understood. Whenever I hear White House counsel previously i was always just thinking of like the one guy mm-hmm. i knew that was white house counsel but there are like many people yeah there's a full office yeah and they bounce around who they're giving advice to too it seems um but anyways so he raised concerns um this is eisenberg he so he did follow up did raise concerns with white house counsel and then that counsel told him to talk to trump directly but instead of going to trump eisenberg decided that the complaints were not criminal enough in nature and so he didn't take them up with the president after all and now uh it looks like he did that multiple times so this guy had this under his purview and was trying to make the determination if it was worth escalating it and he cited on executive authority over and over again basically this sounds like a plausible deniability situation where he was almost like if i tell the president then he'll know what he's doing is wrong and it's best for him if he doesn't know what he's doing is wrong yeah could be that um. Yeah, I think that's a guess. I yeah, he totally. could also just be shielding him. That, that that's a big common theme that goes on mm-hmm. in this administration uh, with the, you know, it's Veterans Day with that uh, Veterans Administration Veterans Affairs uh, Inspector General report about the accountability and whistleblower office. They were shielding. Uh, they're scathing October twenty fourth Inspector General report. They were shielding complaints, EEO complaints, and whistleblower complaints mm-hmm. against Trump appointees. They wouldn't tell them about it, and not only that, they were retaliating against them. So Eisenberg's right. in a situation where if he takes it up with the president, then the president doesn't have plausible deniability and he could be retaliated against by this administration. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to give excuses. I'm yeah. just maybe trying to get inside of his head to figure out why he was blocking all this shit. Yeah, well, if my memory is correct, I believe that I had read uh, that him being appointed to the position he was in even in the first place was a result of more career officials that would have been more appropriate for the role that he was fulfilling but because they were never Trumpers, they got glossed over for that position. So there's there's a lot of not not to say he's like an unqualified counsel or anything. He has like a long history of, of things, but it's usually in uh, like he was very involved in Bush's decision to expand surveillance of American people. And he did a lot of work on that stuff. So now that he's being switched over into decisions that are more um, New York Times described them as just like intense in the moment kind of like military decisions or things that are quick reactive decisions that might not be his forte exactly yeah um, and another intelligence another result of trump just surrounding himself with yes men right instead of a you know panel of advisors like with abraham lincoln and uh pretty much every president since then ex- you know ex- exception a few mm-hmm. yeah and then so that's not only his sketchy thing in ukraine gate officials are they're also saying that eisenberg was the one who ultimately enacted the storing of that transcript of the july 25th call onto that to be top secret server so um 
Eisenberg says that this is not true, though. He says that they only sought to limit access uh, to the call and that it or he he said that they ought to limit access to the call and that it was White House officials that took that legal advice over the top when they stored it in this Alcatraz of data system. (laughs) (laughs) Alcatraz of data systems and the call is Al Capone. (laughs) Just sitting there with a Welcome to the rock. (laughs) Okay, that was dumb. I'm sorry. All the data sitting in the Alcatraz of, of data just with like a nice armchair and a fancy ass lamp. And then uh, Nick Cage Al comes style. in and says, how in the name of Zeus's butthole do you get this call transcript out of the system? We could just um, do a whole. Yes. All right. Uh, but yeah, so basically he's getting, he's getting shit from both sides, honestly, because just with this issue alone, it's like, why would you why would you store the information there? And he's like, I didn't store the information there. I told them to make it so people couldn't leak it. And then they are they the did. ones that put it in there. Uh, but so there's all that stuff and then just a quick flashback i'm almost done uh eisenberg he he apparently it was his job to also protect flynn for the short stint that flynn was in he was legal advisor to michael flynn and uh, this is like a great cinematic moment that the new york times described um it was when he was getting interviewed by the FBI and he got Eisenberg got word that it was happening so he's like running to the office to try to like give him counsel you know but I imagine not that dramatic and amazing but but basically no chariots of fire yeah except your victory is like upholding a criminal no like slow motion yeah uh, essentially, he couldn't get Michael Flynn counsel in time, and Flynn wound up lying in that interview and then getting charged with lying to the FBI, uh, admitting to it, I should say. So, ultimately, overall, this guy is a guy that has served in multiple administrations, and he seems to not have like a horrendously corrupt background compared to some of the other players in this, but he definitely does have a history of yielding to executive authority, but not without sort of putting out, you know, like a little bit of a fight. Yeah, and that has definitely put him in a bad spot. Mm-hmm. So Eisenberg, Mulvaney, Bolton. I'm on to you. I'm on to you. <laughs> we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Today's episode of The Daily Beans is brought to you by Embark. I love my doggo. She runs like the wind, she barks like the thunder, and drools like the rain. So too much of it really gets everywhere. Not sure what the story is with that, uh, but that's why I got Embark. The Embark Breed and Health DNA Test is key to understanding what you need to provide your dog with its best life. Whether you're looking to know your dog's breed, screen for any genetic health conditions, or learn your dog's ancestral background back to the great-grandparents, their DNA test is quick and easy to do. Uh, Our dog claims she's Irish, but we'll see. Over 50% of dogs are either at risk um, or a carrier of genetic disease, on a serious note. And the sooner you know, the sooner you can help them. Embark has a world-renowned canine geneticist, which at first I thought meant dogs with little lab coats and microscopes, but no. Actually, Embark uses the most comprehensive and the only research-grade DNA testing on the market. And all you need to do is take one simple cheek swab or collect the drool and send it in. 
The cool thing is Embark looks at over 100 times as much genetic info as the competition, uh, not only to give the most accurate results, but to make future genetic discoveries. Every Embark pup brings us closer to the goal of ending preventable diseases in dogs. Embark has an exclusive holiday offer you can't get anywhere else. Go to EmbarkVet.com now and use promo code DAILYBEANS to save 15% off your dog DNA test kit. Visit EmbarkVet.com and use promo code DAILYBEANS to save. You'll be glad you did. Okay, welcome back. Jordan. Jordan. Yes. Jordan. Yes. You have a story about Jordan. Yes, I do. Worst name twin in the world. Um, so Jim Jordan, <laughs> as you know. Jim, is, G-Y-M. Jim Jordan. Yes, Jim Jordan. Um, Jim Jordan now has evaded any sort of accountability for his lack of accountability during his time. As a coach at Ohio State where one of the team doctors assaulted and raped multiple, many, 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 uh, actually 1,429 instances of fondling and 47 instances of rape involving Strauss, uh, who killed himself in 2015, died by suicide. Um, And it's awful. Those are awful, awful, awful statistics. Statistics. And yeah, I hesitated to say statistics because obviously the main issue is that people went through that the trauma and yeah. yes but it's it's just an egregious amount of it and so now a second person has come forward saying that jim jordan 100 percent, like there's no way he could have not known about this and the fact that he hasn't faced any sort of culpability here is uh, pretty unacceptable it was there was a this the second person is a referee who had a run-in with strauss uh, when he was in the shower and for no reason at all, essentially. Strauss came in and wound up naked and touching his body to this referee's body out of nowhere. And when he went to go, I won't go too much into detail, but when he went to go report this to the people that were the higher-ups at the team, they responded with, yeah, that's Strauss. And that's all they said. And there was no sort of follow-up to that behavior at all. Um, and he said, I've heard some terrible arguments against it, like from the other side too, but like standing up for Jim Jordan saying, well, they weren't underage. That's like, that doesn't matter at all. Yeah. Like rape's okay once you're 18. That's yeah, what you're saying. Exactly. And a friend of mine who's a nurse, uh, I asked her brother is a coach at a major university. They do legally have a duty to report mm-hmm. if they're, if they're known anything. So this is a crime. This is a federal uh, at least a state crime, if not yeah. a federal crime. Yeah, and that's that's like those are laws that I don't know if that's something that every state has to pass individually, or if that's like a federal law that you have to report that. I don't know if that's something because well, Ohio State has said that they they issued a report in May and they found that they were not they were unable to make conclusive determinations about whether particular employees knew of Strauss's conduct. Obviously, that's like 100 percent directed towards Jim Jordan um, and the other people, too. But I think the timing is because of Jim Jordan. And so basically they're saying that it's inconclusive and there's nothing they can do about it, which is very sad. But there's there's a, a new lawsuit that includes 43 men who said they were abused by Strauss. And that's going to that's going to continue to move forward. So I don't think that this is the end for Jim Jordan needing to face some sort of justice, but it just really seems like it's going to be another one of those Blase Ford situations almost where, except the the major difference here is that there are like, like the number of incidences that were reported on behalf of 
the university and the students that were going there just are so large in number. I really don't see how it's acceptable for them to just say, well, there's no way for us to, you know, conclude who really was involved and stuff. It's like over like 1400 incidences and then you're saying you then you hold them legally responsible for not knowing Mm -hmm. i mean honestly if if, when you're looking at hundreds and hundreds of instances thousands of instances of assault and over 40 instances of actual rape Mm -hmm. um you're fired if you didn't know and if you did know and didn't tell anybody you're also fired right well and this is why usa gymnastics is effectively like canceled right now because larry nasser was able to continue to do that and this is his is such an extreme case because the gymnasts parents at times were literally in the exam room with them when it was happening so there's there's so there's so much to that case that is so fucked up but if they're being held accountable for not knowing that Larry was doing this stuff or for not, you know, efficiently and effectively pursuing any sort of complaints or, like, weirdness. Your job is working with underage girls all the time. For you to not have detected something and for you to have not pursued any sort of, you know, claims with the mo- the utmost sincerity and and alacrity that you could is like awful and in this scenario in a college it's not very far off from the age of girls that larry nasser was working with so that whole also that argument about them being adults is still like very disgusting because these are still teenagers largely and they're still people and and they're people you know like if this happened at at an adult nursing home Mm -hmm. oh no they're old enough to consent yeah you know like what yeah age aside these are people that are or in um you know in in certain hospital wards mental health wards where you've got a bunch of adults and people take advantage of of them as well just to say oh well they you know they're old enough to right and that's the main point is that these are these are people regardless of their age that are in an institution underneath a large institution honestly giving their skills for their benefit mostly even if they are on scholarship it's like still a lot of that sort of a relationship but these are people that are engaging at this campus under the assumption that they're going to be protected by what is an entirely ridiculously large institution above them yeah and then like in gymnastics much like at at the ohio state university if you make noise or rock the boat you might not go on to the pros you could ruin your career Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of the level, or you might not get to the Olympic, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, there's a there's a pressure to not say anything, much like there is in the comedy world, much like there is in the acting world with uh, um, uh, Weinstein. Mm-hmm. You know, these are people in positions of power, and so it's it's difficult to rock the boat. And, and that somebody said that's Strauss. That means you know that's just Strauss. Yeah. That means everyone knew, mm-hmm. and it was like to to, to imagine that forty something plus um, survivors and <clears throat> thousands of others didn't. No one said anything, and no you know to to assume that is just uh, ridiculous. But yeah. I mean, you know, I guess for criminal culpability, there has to be some sort of a smoking gun. But come on, yeah, it resign. You know, we don't have a smoking gun for Katie Hill. You know, we didn't. You know, we we had an explanation with no smoking gun for Al Franken. Uh, and they resigned. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't understand why Republicans seem to be shielded from this. I, I. I'm only guessing, and this probably sounds terrible, that their base doesn't care mm-hmm. about rapes. Yeah, I mean, clearly, they, clearly they don't, because they already showed us with the whole Roy Moore debacle where their moral line is drawn, and that is if there's a person that is going to stand up for, you know, 
not allowing pro-choice legislation to go through, mm. then that's going to save more lives. A rapist is better than a Democrat. Yes. A Russian is better than the Dem- a Democrat. Yeah. Yeah, they're willing to go so far. And they'll say that. They'll they w- say that they believe that. They will. Uh, okay, in other news, um, Trump says he's going to release a transcript of the first Ukraine call or an earlier Ukraine call, maybe not the first. I think it goes back to April. We've heard about this call. He's going to release the quote unquote transcript of the call. It's not going to be a transcript. Uh, They don't have transcripts. They don't exist. There's no such thing as a transcript of calls that are in that protected tippy top secret system. Uh, But he says maybe Tuesday. Maybe Tuesday he'll release it. Uh, I expect Taco Tuesday and Trader <laughs> Trader Tuesday Trader Tuesday uh, Treason Tuesday. I expect yes. it to be heavily scrubbed. Uh, and with the impeachment committees, I don't even think they'll question it or care. We have enough in the first call, corroborated by multiple witnesses. You know, mm-hmm. so like, oh, cool, bro. It's other call doesn't let you off the hook for what you did in this call. Mm-hmm. But I think he's going to be trying to direct our attention away from from that extremely damning July 25th call to perhaps this more scrubbed, less extremely damned Bill Barr memo style uh, version of this first April phone call. Yeah. Um, Okay, this is a... Or May. I can't remember when it is. This is a question from me who doesn't know everything. Um, (laughs) What what are like the... What is the major takeaway from the first call versus the second call? Because I don't know that off the top of my head. Um, uh, presumably, and we don't know yet, and and we might not even know when the when the transcript, quote unquote, is released. But when when we start talk, when you read the second call, there's a lot of things in there that seem like they're picking up from a, a previous conversation. Mm-hmm. And so those are the kinds of things that they would be looking for in that first call. The, the, okay. The beginning of... So there have been no headlines that have come out yet about like what was said in the first call exactly. N- not that I know of that's okay. really Because I haven't seen it either. So when yeah. I when I started hearing about like him releasing the first call, I, was con- I have no idea what that even is going to show. Yeah, I'd have to look it up. But pres- presumably what people are thinking is that it's the kickoff of these conversations. Because, okay. you know, hey, we're getting ready to buy those javelins. When Zelensky said that and Trump said, oh, I want I wanted you to do me a favor, though. Uh, that doesn't sound like a I have a new idea. Let's talk about it. That sounds like a picking up where we left off in our last conversation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you tie it into the fact that the previous president of Ukraine was also offered javelins mm-hmm. uh, right around the same time Giuliani visited. And a week later, he got a White House meeting and javelins. Mm-hmm. Um, so and, and also the Manafort Mueller um, uh, Ukrainian prosecution cooperation stopped. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a pattern. Uh, it might it probably will just reinforce a pattern. But again, I don't okay. think we're going to get the full call. Yeah. Uh, also, the GOP has handed over their list of witnesses they'd like to call in the impeachment um, inquiry, including Alexander Chalupa. Um, oh shit! Yep, Hunter Biden, Volker, Hale, Tim Morrison, and the whistleblower and Nellie Orr who worked for Fusion GPS, that's Bruce Orr's wife. He was working at the, I believe, the FBI when the uh, Russian investigation was kicking off. Schiff wrote back uh, to the the GOP saying, we'll take this into consideration. (laughs) 
but added, quote, the committee will also not facilitate efforts by Trump and his allies in Congress to threaten, intimidate and retaliate against the whistleblower who courageously raised the initial alarm. He added the whistleblower has the right under the law to remain anonymous and not to mention his or her testimony is redundant and unnecessary, saying the witnesses and documents, including Trump's own words in the July call, not only confirm, but far exceed the initial information in the whistleblower complaint. It's unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't even need to, you know, uh, bring it bring the bring him into or her into to be questioned and that makes sense first of all it's just interesting that you know we look at the Mueller investigation the russia investigation and trump is targeting in on the in, on the origin of that investigation mm-hmm. and now we're looking at ukraine and trump is targeting in on the origin mm-hmm. of this investigation yep. which is the whistleblower yep uh, it's a pattern. It's a very common pattern. If anyone can't see it, I, I don't understand how you can. If, if someone's like, you know, I just don't get how you can't see that. Mm-hmm. Discrediting the origins of an investigation or the oranges. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to, to, to try to discredit the whistleblower is I've heard it put like this. You're, you're, you're basically trying to jail the person who pulled the fire alarm. Mm-hmm. You know, you're trying to shoot the messenger. Right. Instead of the arsonist. Exactly. Mm hmm. So, yeah, that's uh, all a lot of the first half of those names, too, are directly out of the playbook of the man that Nunes met with that was peddling all of those exact same conspiracy theories, too, which is, again, just another example of them trusting some sort of foreign intelligence over over our intelligence. Yeah, right. Just because you think that it's going to keep your fucking dipshit non-Republican president from staying in power. How sad that they're willing to to drag our intelligence community, yeah, to incredibly sad to protect themselves. I was uh, talking about this with Ryan. Um, sorry, did I interrupt you? No, that's all I was. I was thinking. talking. I was talking about this with Ryan, where <laughs> I just interrupted you again after. <laughs> no, I was just upset about the <laughs> reservoir of trust and yeah, that's great, Ag. But um, <laughs> we can do this all day. <laughs> Uh, we tricked you all yes but i was but i was talking to my boyfriend ryan about this how it's like if as a comic if there's an actor or someone that comes into the comedy scene and then tries to just like rise in the ranks very quickly or something in general everyone's gonna be like who the fuck is this guy or who the fuck is this girl they're not a comic they didn't do the work to get here this is bullshit and everyone kind of bands together the people that tell the dick jokes band together the people that tell the political jokes and everyone's just like fuck this person collectively and I can't believe that politicians aren't doing that in regards to this guy it's like fuck this guy dude he didn't do any of the shit that you guys did but you know what this is revealing is that they also are crooks and criminals and that's why they're okay with him being at the top of this because to them the notion of someone not deserving to be where they're at is one that their own careers are founded on so fuck you guys (laughs) (laughs) Mm. fuck you guys (laughs) fuck you guys that is the audio equivalent of flipping someone off (laughs) Uh, alright time for a little schadenfreude schadenfreude 
Okay, you ready? This is so good. Uh, Manafort's former son-in-law, Jeffrey Yohai, has been sentenced to nine years in prison by a federal judge Friday. Oh, that's more than daddy. And took him to, about a year and a half more than daddy. And took him to task calling him a serial scammer whose horrific crimes pose a significant threat to the public that demonstrated both sophistication and an evil mind. Yohai had pleaded guilty to a bunch of crimes, including renting out luxury homes without the owner's permission, um, <laughs> selling non-existent backstage passes to Coachella. Oh, my God. Pawning band equipment he stole. Uh, his scams amounted to nearly $13 million, and the judge also wow. ordered $6.7 million payment in restitution. He he, he was also guilty of, of uh, a scheme that he did with uh, Uncle Uncle Polly, mm-hmm. Manafort. And uh, I just imagine he calls him Uncle Polly. No, it's his son-in-law. Sorry. Daddy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Daddy-in-law. Oh, Chris. Uh, I could, he totally would be like, please, everyone, I know I'm new to this family, but Call me daddy. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Call me daddy. <laughs> but he, uh, they did some $5 million real estate scam uh, thing. And, 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 and Manafort's currently, Seth, was one of his 18 counts um, and w- that he was charged with, one of the eight counts he was convicted on. And so, uh, but he, but yeah, Jeffrey Ohio's going, going away for a year and a half longer than his pops. Mm. So that's a really nice schadenfreude for today. Uh, so we're going to continue on with this impeachment stuff. November 13th is the beginning of public hearings. Uh, and November 15th is the Department of Justice indict or quit deadline for Andy McCabe. Nice. So it's going to be, I wanted to give everybody a reminder that's coming up this week. It's going to be another interesting week. So we'll be here to tell you all about it. Yes, um, we will. We shall. Woo-hoo. And any final thoughts? Um, No. Do we have anything to promote really right now? No, just uh, our patron patronage. Yeah, become a become a patron because you're yeah. going to get video access pretty soon. That's not going to be made to the public. You get ad free episodes of the Daily Beans still, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm going to stick with that. Um, I'm not going to let that go. That's Sweet. A, that's a sticking point for me. Sweet. And uh, it just you know helps us pay for our healthcare and also um, just. My thoughts out to everyone, all the veterans, uh, this Veterans Day and their families, everybody who's who's supported active duty service members and veterans. Um, that is what we're remembering today. So thank a veteran. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, man, it's just it, it's a, it, the day means a lot to me. So I know it means a lot to, to everybody here, too. And thank you. Yeah, no worries. It was, a, you know, under Clinton. So. <laughs> we read books but um also the day before was a marine corps birthday yes happy birthday happy birthday marine corps and navy's coming up here soon too and what day is the navy i think it's the same as veterans day or maybe the day after oh cool i have to google it nice i should know that since i was in the navy meh <laughs> meh nobody birthdays <laughs> grow lackluster over time i guess <laughs> you do. by the time you're at two something 200 and something you're like eh. <laughs> yeah it is October thirteenth. Oh, my bad. Mm, that was oh, <laughs> I'm a bad. Already sailor. happened. <laughs> I'm a bad sailor. <laughs> I can swim pretty good, but I, I can't remember birthdays, and that's fine because 1775 is a long time ago. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was and is. No one has a 400 year long memory. 
Otherwise, we'd be in a very different situation in the country. I don't even have a month-long memory. <laughs> I, should, I should even. I should, I should know that. I do care. Yeah. Um, also, three hundred. I know math. Eat. Very nice. <laughs> you don't have to send me a correction. Yeah. A screenshot of a Google calculator. Boy, we're killing it here at the end of the show today, aren't we? Yeah. Math really and mathing at the end. Memories and things like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's an important day. And, uh, you know, it, I, I care a lot about it. And I, I'm very proud to have served. And it's just, it's very hard. And I want to, you know, reach out to us if you're having a hard time with the way that this administration is treating veterans and, and the way that, um, yeah, you know, he's, he sort of tries to take credit for things that just, it's, it's a lot of gaslighting and it's, it's, it can be kind of painful sometimes. So we are with you um, on this Veterans Day and every day. So that's my final thought. Nice. Thank All you, right. AG. No worries. Uh, that is it. So please join us tomorrow. I've been... Oh, wait. Wait. You have to take care of things. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. I, I apparently need to do that. <laughs> I've been AG. I've been Jordan Coburn. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>